0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I want to take a minute here now and pray just as we get going um, and invite God's presence. Lord God, we thank you that you are present in your spirit, uh, by your spirit. And so as we gather this morning, we wanna just lift up our world as we struggle with this coronavirus stuff for all the families that are affected by this, for our government leaders, uh, that they would have wisdom and patience. God, we pray for the supplies that so many people need of of health-related items. And we pray for those health workers, Lord, that you would protect them uh, as they risk their own health and their own lives to serve The rest of us. God, we thank you that so far in Wyoming, we're pretty darn safe. God, I thank you for our brothers and sisters that are at home watching and who are tuning in, uh, that we are reminded every Sunday now that church uh, is not a place, it's your people. It's not about a building, it's about who we are, to be your hands and your feet in this world. And so God, we pray that we would be faithful to your call on us, and we pray, God, that you would speak to us this morning. Amen. Well, this morning, I hope you are all safe at home, uh, that you're healthy, that you have enough groceries, that you have enough toilet paper. That's always important. I uh, Hope that you're washing your hands regularly. You've got your mask on when you go out. Uh, I know that a lot of you are extroverts, and that this stay-at-home business that's going on is a real challenge to you. I've talked to a number of folks like that, and extroverts just want to get out and be social. Uh, My wife, Melody, and I are not extroverts. We're introverts. And so not being able to get out and about hasn't really bothered us very much, except we are grandparents now. Uh, Our first grandchild, Jude, was born back in January. Uh, He lives in Tacoma, Washington, so that's a trip. To get out there, we went to visit him uh, at the end of January when he was two weeks old. We had plans to go visit him again over spring break at the beginning of April, but sadly, this coronavirus business put the nicks on that trip, and so we are anxious on that account to get out of the house, get on a plane, and fly west to Tacoma. But in the meantime, as we are doing even now, we're making use of technology. And so when it comes to Jude, uh, every couple days his parents will send us a photo or a video of him. Uh, We do FaceTime calls. And so it's been pretty cool because uh, we get to almost be there and we get to watch him take a nap or take a bath. Uh, We've watched him drool. He drools a lot. Uh, He tries to mimic sounds his dad makes. That's pretty cool. We've seen him roll over Uh, It's just fun to be able to do that. And so with total objectivity and no favoritism whatsoever, I can confidently say that my grandson is the best looking, smartest, most mature, 13 week old little boy that's ever been. Um, But sadly, despite our desire to see our grandchildren, and I'm sure you've had this as well, to see them grow up into healthy, mature adults, Uh, That's not always what happens. How many of you have been to a class reunion? Uh, Two years ago, I went to my first. It was our 40th reunion. I hadn't made any of those, any before that. And when I was there, I had a great time connecting with people I had not seen in literally four decades. My class size was about 400 And um, out of that number, eh, about 130, 140 showed up at the reunion. And I remember walking out onto the patio. It was a warm August night, walking out onto the patio in this restaurant and starting to look around the room uh, or the patio and to see who I recognized. And the first thing I noticed was that there was a lot of people there that I didn't remember being quite that heavy. You know, a lot of people had gained weight. And the second thing I noticed, there was a lot more gray hair than the last time I had seen those people. And in some cases, there was a lot less hair than there was when I last saw them. And everyone just looked older. Who would have expected that? But I spent the next couple hours uh, talking with some of these classmates, and one thing I noticed in those conversations and just watching people was that even though our bodies were 40 years older, it seemed like uh, shortly after graduation, our attitudes and behaviors had been taken out of us and put in suspended animation and then we gathered that night. It had been dropped back in because we acted, it seemed like, just like we did when we were in high school. You know, the jocks and the cheerleaders, well, they were over on this side and they kind of hung out together and they acted the same way they did 40 years ago. And, and the nerds, they still acted like nerds. They were over on this side and, and the flirts were still flirting and the, the stuck-ups were still acting stuck-up and the, the partiers were still partying. Our bodies were 40 years older. But it's as if our attitudes and our, and our behavior hadn't changed. I, I wanted to talk to one of the guys who back in high school was in a different cast than me, so to speak. And uh, I went up to him and started to strike up a conversation. And I asked him a question. And he, he looked at me and he said, no, and walked away just like he would have done back in high school. And as I talked with folks, I realized some, not too many, but a few had matured. And I like to think that I was one of the ones who had matured. I'm not so sure, maybe in some ways, but not so much in others. Well, 39 years ago and three months, uh, I was a three-month-old, well, 39 years ago, I was a three-month-old baby Christian. And I still drooled a little, but I could turn the pages in my Bible all by myself. And in the ensuing time, I have been to seminary, and I got a Master of Divinity degree. I've been a pastor for 26 out of the past 30 years. I've studied my Bible, and I've attended conferences and read books and led and attended small groups. And I know a lot more now than I did then. But I wonder sometimes, maybe you've wondered this, is being more knowledgeable the same thing as being more mature? I know I'm painting with a broad brush here, uh, but my experience with people over the years as I've talked with them and just watched and, and listened, is that we kind of tend to think that mature Christians are those people that show up in worship on Sunday morning. And when they come, they usually bring a Bible. And if you say open to Ephesians, for example, they don't need to turn to the table of contents. They know right where it is. They can often quote you chapter and verse. When they pray out loud, sometimes they pray in King James English, not always. But prayer always seems to begin with, we think, let us pray. And they bow their head and fold their hands and close their eyes. But I wonder, you know, is that what spiritual maturity really looks like? Years ago, Bill Eason, who has been a guru of mine, he's a pastor and author and a consultant, he made a statement that challenged me, and this has been 25 years, but it really stuck with me, and and I've used it a number of times. I've said it here before, so maybe it'll sound familiar to you. If you can read it, it's kind of cluttered there, but he says, on any given Sunday morning... Most every pastor looks out over a congregation full of people who are no more spiritually mature on that morning than they were when they graduated from high school. And that's challenging to me. And I hope to you, ask yourself, are you more mature this morning, spiritually mature this morning than you were when you graduated from high school, whenever that was? or a year ago, or 10 years, I don't know what your time frame is. I'm not asking, do you go to church all the time? And I'm not asking, are you in a small group, or do you have daily devotions every day? Those are all good things, and I hope you do those. But I have come to realize that doing those things, as much as they contribute to spiritual maturity, are not the same thing as being spiritually mature. And so how are you doing at being and growing in your spiritual maturity? If you've got a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to look at just a very short passage. Uh, Ephesians, uh, most of the books Paul wrote are to, were to churches that were having problems. And so he wrote to correct them. Ephesians is an exception to that. When he wrote this letter, uh, he was writing to a church that was, was basically healthy. And so this letter contained challenges and explanations. He wanted them to grow and stretch in their understanding of who they were as Christ followers and how to put that into practice in their lives. And so Paul's usual practice was to spend about the first half of a letter, more theological, more abstract, uh, more theoretical maybe, um, and, and to lay out theology and beliefs And then somewhere about halfway through, he would make a shift, and he would start to make those theological principles practical. And he would say, because of all this theology I just told you, because of who we are and what we believe, This is how we're gonna live out our lives. And so this is the beginning of that shift that Paul makes in Ephesians in chapter four. And in these verses, he lays out some guidance about who we are in Christ and how we should relate to one another and how we should grow as followers of Jesus. And so in verse 11 of chapter four, he starts out and he says, and Jesus gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, here it is, to mature manhood, and I would suggest mature womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Depending on how long you've been around the church, you've probably heard messages on this. And over my years, I've certainly preached on it a number of times because this whole book, but this section of Ephesians in particular is so foundational to our understanding of who we are as Christ's brothers and sisters and how we live out our lives as the church. And in brief, Paul says, that Jesus called these apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and and teachers to equip you and me to do ministry. But here's the sad part about that. And, And this is my experience. Maybe it's yours. Too often, too many church people, including pastors, think that the pastors are supposed to do the ministry, And everybody else just kind of watches because that's why we hire pastors, right? Is to do ministry. That's why pastors go to seminary or go to Bible college so they can learn all of this stuff so they can be pastors, right? So I wonder if that's your experience. I know one denomination that has something that they call laity Sunday. And the official rule book of that denomination says that laity Sunday shall be observed annually preferably on the third Sunday in October. Laity Sunday calls the church to celebrate the ministry of all Christians as their lives are empowered for ministry by the Holy Spirit. And I read this and I think, wow, this sounds like we don't want just anybody to do ministry, to lead worship. But because the rule book says we have to Okay, we'll do it once a year, preferably on the third Sunday in October, but the rest of the year, ministry will stay where it was meant to be, safely in the hands of professionals. See, I hope you get the point. We are all, all called to ministry, not just a select few who went to Bible college or seminary. And here's something that may surprise you. Bible college and seminary doesn't make anyone a pastor. It's God who makes people, all of these positions, not just pastors, but in particular, it's God who gifts gifts pastors, not the Bible college or the seminary. Then when those people who God calls go to Bible college or seminary, their skills are enhanced and they learn more theology. And and the Bible college and seminary gives them tools to be better pastors, but it doesn't make them pastors. God does. And the truth is, I know this is true because I've seen it. Some of you watching are better at pastoral care than I am. And I went to seminary. I've got the MDiv behind my name, but you're better than I am. And then Paul starts to talk about a time frame a little bit when we think, well, when are we going to build up the saints? And the obvious answer is, well, Sunday mornings for an hour, right? Because that's when church is. But no. That's not the right answer. One hour on Sunday morning is not near enough time to build anybody up. And here's my my challenge. Here's what I want to really rub you, uh, get the, the, the pebble under your saddle with. The more we realize just how little going to a building we mistakenly call the church has to do with following Jesus, the more mature we become. Think about that. The more we realize just how little going to a building we mistakenly call the church has to do with following Jesus, the more mature we come. Now, listen closely, okay? (laughs) I am not saying that gathering for corporate worship is not important. It is. I'm saying that going to a building we mistakenly call the church for an hour on Sunday morning, really, when you get down to it, really doesn't have all that much to do with becoming a mature Christian. Now, you may disagree with me, and that's great if you do. Send me an email, dan at meadowbrook.org. I'd love to dialogue with you about it. But whatever we think the importance of gathering as a large group on Sunday morning is, that's being challenged right now, isn't it? Because we can't gather as a large group. We're not even supposed to gather in small groups unless they're less than 10 people. And so here's the question that raises for us How are you doing at growing and maturing in your faith now that we cannot gather on Sunday mornings? Here's another thing to think about, or that I've thought about anyway. You know, I said my 40th class reunion was two years ago. And so if you do the math, you can figure out that Dan is getting close to retirement. And my wife, Melody, is getting close to retirement. And so we've been thinking and talking about what are we gonna do with all the spare time we are gonna have when we retire? And I hear you folks who are already retired laughing at that statement. But, but, but maybe once we retire, uh, we wanna you know, really reduce our Sunday morning commitment because we wanna go see our daughters and our grandchild now, maybe we'll have grandchildren then, who knows, but they all live in different states. And so, you know, we need to be released from Sunday morning stuff so we can go travel or hike or bike or all those things we do. But here's the deal, here's what challenges me on that. For all the Bible study that I have done over the years and all the sermons I've heard over the years, I have never come across the concept of retirement for ministry. <clears throat> Dang. What I do see though <laughs> is that God has called you and me to be in ministry. How long? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the measure of the full stature, full, ah, I can't even say it right, until we all attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, nobody gets there until we all get there. And if you're anything like me, it could be a long time before you get there because it's gonna be a long time before I get there because I have a long way to go before I am mature. You know, if you look in a Greek dictionary uh, what, and you can do this, right? You just need to go to blueletterbible.org. And there are a ton of Bible study tools there. And you do not need to have a master's degree in anything to make use of those. So I encourage you to do that. But if you go there and you look it up, what you see is the Greek word "telios." we translate into English as mature. It also means complete or perfect. And if you think about it, you can see how those uh, all go together. And see, God gave us people in those roles, to equip us to serve one another and build us each other up until we become teleos, mature. Paul wrote the same thing to the the Colossians. He said, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and every woman and teaching every man and every woman with all wisdom so that we may present every man and every woman mature in Christ. And Paul, you see, the growth starts as babies. You and I do, spiritual babies, like I was 39 years ago. And we all start out as spiritual babies. But the idea is for us to grow into mature Christians, mature followers of Christ. So once we are all mature, we can all retire. And then Paul in Ephesians goes on to say that maturity, it's, it's the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And, and stature is the importance of the reputation gained by uh, our ability or our achievement. And so God put people in these roles uh, to teach us and guide us to serve one another so that we can become mature and by what we do, gain the same reputation as Jesus had. That's a tall order, at least in my life. And it raises the question, what kind of reputation did Jesus have? And he had a lot of different reputations depending on who you talk to. But for one, I think Jesus had the reputation uh, of being somebody who cared for the outsiders and the outcasts and the rejects of culture uh, and, and just people who, for whatever reason, were hard to love. And you think about it, Jesus shared meals with tax collectors and prostitutes, people that good culture rejected. He was concerned about orphans and widows. They were were dead weight on culture and society, but he cared about them. He would talk to the Samaritans and the Jews as a rule viewed Samaritans as lower than the dogs. Lepers wanted to touch Jesus and they wanted Jesus to touch him. And he did that because they knew he could heal them. And occasionally, Jesus even raised someone from the dead. And so this raises a question. I've got lots of questions here. It raises the question, what is our reputation as the church as a whole, right? As Christians in the world, what is our reputation as as Meadowbrook Church? What is our reputation as individuals when it comes to loving and caring for the people that culture says are outcasts and should be rejected and neglected. What's our reputation? I don't know what reputation I personally have, but I do know something about myself. And what I know is I find it easiest to care for people who are most like me. You know, middle class, white, (laughs) straight, politically and theologically to the right of center. People with steady jobs and cars that run and all their utility bills paid, churched people. And on the other hand, I find it most difficult to love and care for people who are not like me, who may not be white and who may not be middle class. They may be less educated They might not be straight. They probably don't go to a church, someplace on that political and theological spectrum where I'm not, and there's room to the left and to the right. I find it difficult to love and care for people who haven't had a bath or changed their clothes in days or maybe even weeks. The more different someone is from me, the harder it is for me to love and care for them. And when I look back at the life of Jesus, what I see is that Jesus got the most upset with people like me, religious people, people who should know better. In that day, they were the, the scribes and the Pharisees. They knew their Bible, right? Today, we, we might call them good Christians, right? People who are morally upright. And who go to churches that teach the Bible and they bring their Bible with them and they don't need to look up anything in the table of contents because they know where to find it. And they probably vote Republican. They attend small groups. They don't drink or cuss or chew or date people who do. But Jesus was always in their face challenging them for the way they failed to live out their call to follow God challenging them for the way they failed to live life the way scripture directed them. They failed. People like me failed the maturity test. They failed to come anywhere near measuring up to the stature of the fullness of Christ and that that makes me feel guilty. And it reminds me I have a lot of room to mature. And so when I read this passage right now, just in life, and, and, and this is me, this may not be you, but my take on this passage right now is that I need to do a better job of being a neighbor, right? A better job of being concerned for people who are outside this comfortable and safe bubble that I live in. And I'm not sure exactly what that needs to look like, but I know part of it is I just need to sit down and say, God, I repent. Because I am a self-centered, lazy, afraid of challenge kind of a guy. Because I'm getting to that age and stage in life where I want things to to go right. And I need to ask God to show me who do I need to be a neighbor to. I know I need to be self-aware when someone shows up at the church or calls the church and says, hey, can you help me uh, you know, fill my car with gas or can you help me pay the rent or buy some groceries, whatever it is? Because my experience over the years has been a lot of people try and uh, play the system and fool me and wanna take advantage of what I'm willing to give them. And so I get kind of, cr- uh, crass isn't the word, but hardened against them. But we live in a time right now where people more than ever need help, not because they're lazy, but because circumstances have overpowered them and they have no choices, no control anymore. And they need help. I know sometimes, um, perhaps most of the time, growth and becoming mature is uncomfortable. And, and I don't like to be uncomfortable. I mean, I avoid <laughs> discomfort, but growth causes discomfort and it challenges us because it stretches us. Maturity, sadly, does not mean the end of pain and challenge. Sometimes it means more pain and challenge for longer periods. And I know when that happens to me, I mess up. And I hate to mess up. And wherever wherever it is, you need to do maturity you probably will mess up too. But the cool thing about that, and and it's hard to experience when we have to stay at home these days, but the cool thing about that is that we are not alone. We're in this together. We are the body of Christ and God put us together so we can support and encourage and pick up and dust off one another when we mess up. And two, I think that God is, God's concerned about our actions, but I think God is concerned about our motivation. Or maybe you can say God's concerned about our heart as well. And, and I think, and I'm, maybe this is just me, but I have experienced that when I blow it, even though I do, if I've, if I've got the right motivation and if I'm trying to do what God has called me to do, trying to do the neighborly thing then even if I screw up or when I don't, God guides and he empowers and he loves us to do better next time. And when that happens, when we just even try, we begin to build a reputation. We begin to mature and people begin to look at us and say, That looks like what Jesus would do. And that means we are growing up. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today as people that you have gifted to serve and build up your body so that it'll be healthy and it'll reflect you in this world. But God, we fall short because we're afraid and we're hurt, and we're timid, and we think we can't do it. And so, God, we confess our sin to you, and we ask your forgiveness for falling short, and we thank you that despite all that keeps us from being faithful to you, you are deeply committed and faithful to us. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us as we go through life day to day and guide us to where we can demonstrate the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus. And if that means serving someone we don't want to serve, may we still serve. Maybe we need to forgive someone or to be calm and respectful in a testing circumstance. Maybe that means keeping our mouth shut when we want to share our opinion or to be humble in the face of criticism or praise. But God, whatever it is that challenges us, I thank you that you offer us power and forgiveness and comfort and guidance through your spirit. And so, Lord God, I pray that we would grow to be mature, filled to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. Hope you uh, stay safe this week, and that you will come back and join us next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Blessing. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.